The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Groundhog Day, where we dis- are going to discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings of this great 1993 movie starring Bill Murray and Andy McDowell. Joining me today on the panel are Mike Denz. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Very well, thanks. And Shelley Kelly. Hi, Shelley. How you doing? Very good. Very good. Uh, so, folks, before we get started, I do want to encourage you, if you have not yet done so, please subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Spotify, your favorite podcast app, or on the SQPN YouTube channel where you should hit the bell to get notifications of new episodes. And uh, I also want to encourage you to to, to listen to, uh, we have two kinds of episodes that we do in Secrets of Movies and TV shows. We do this kind of, where we have a panel, we get together, we talk about a movie, and then we do Coffee and Cinema, which is me and Father Chip Hines. Uh, we go to a movie, and then when we come out, we get a cup of coffee. We sit down and talk about our very straight off the top of our head first impressions. And uh, we have a lot of great discussions that way, too. So uh, we do a couple different things with this show and we hope you enjoy it and uh, let others know about it. So I, I'm very tempted and I don't think I'm going to do this, but I was tempted to start the show, go in about 10 minutes and then restart the show <laughs> and then and then go another 10 minutes and restart the show again. But I, I, I think that might get a little tedious for folks. So I'm not going to do that. But uh, just that was my idea. So yeah, the music queued up, though, right? We can play the music. Every yes. Five minutes. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Oh, except that I, I don't want a DMCA takedown notice. So <laughs> just just go to uh, you know Apple Music and play. Uh, I got you, babe, with uh, Sunny and Cher. Um, so like I said, this movie came out in 1993. Stars Bill Murray and Andy McDowell. And um, uh, Chris Elliott, uh, also a prominent role. Um, and it's uh, directed by Harold Ramis. You know Harold Ramis from Ghostbusters and lots of other stuff like that. He was you know, e- Egon in Ghostbusters, but he's also director and written by a screenwriter named Danny Rubin. And uh, it was his first script when he got to Hollywood that was a, sort of it was a spec script that he took around with him to get to get work. Uh, it's one of these things where you don't necessarily think it's going to get produced, but you, uh, you know, you, you, you bring it with you to show what you can do. Um, so as a quick synopsis, it takes place in the town of Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania on Groundhog Day, February 2nd. Uh, local weatherman Phil Connors is a self-important jerk forced to cover Groundhog Day every year because he's the local weatherman. He acts terrible, but uh, he does uh, have the hots for Rita, his producer. Um, they cover the event. A blizzard gets them stuck in town. He wakes up the next day and it happens all over again and again and again and again. At first, he's scared. He takes Then he takes advantage by acting horribly. And then he despairs. And finally, he is accepting, which is when it all finally ends. So that's that's a that's a brief synopsis of it. So first, I want to start off and ask each of you uh, your history with the movie. Um, if you recall where you first saw it or. How many times have you seen it? Do you watch it every year? What what is what is your history? What do you think of the movie just in general? Uh, I'll start with you, Shelley. Well, I was telling you just before we started that I can't remember the first time I saw it. That's what's so funny. I'm looking at the date that it came out, and I know where I was. I was uh, in grad school, 
and working in a bookstore. So I probably saw it in the movie theater with a bunch of friends. But it's it's one of those movies you just think you've always you've always had with you, kind of like Princess Bride. It's like well, right. you, you watch it all the time. You, you can't be flipping the channels and this movie comes on. And you just kind of get stuck watching it and you, <laughs> yeah, right. over and over. Oh, this is that part. Oh, stay here. You know? Yes. Oh, commercial. Yes. OK, we can flip. <laughs> How about you, Mike? I remember seeing the theaters and I remember wanting to see it because they got me with the shtick of he's going to have the same day over and over. And this should be funny. And I think that's how they drew people in with the trailers and everything. And then after, I remember coming out and I remember thinking, that was just great. That was so funny. I really love that movie. And at the time, I was uh, working at a, uh, I don't think it was Blockbuster yet. I think it was still the local, what they would call video factory. It was a video rental store. Um, and for those of you who are uh, 30 <laughs> years old or younger, you'll have to look it up. Um, <laughs> ask, but, your parents. Uh, yeah, ask your parents <laughs> but it was like videotape so it wasn't even dvds and uh so we could you know uh take uh rentals for free and and i know they had like a copy that we could just play at the store and i would borrow that a lot of time and just watch it over and over uh because i loved it and and if i was working on february 2nd i worked there for a couple of years and i thought we should just play groundhog day all day over and over and over again i mean that would just be so funny <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, I've, I've loved the movie, uh, for ever since it does seem like it's been around forever. And when I was watching it today, my daughter sat next to me and she started asking me questions. It's the middle of the movie. And I'm like, well, I go, have you seen this? And she's like, no, I'm like, we have to start over. You have to watch this from the beginning. <laughs> oh my gosh. I felt like such a bad father. I've never shown you Groundhog Day. She's <laughs> going to be 20 years old this year. And she's never seen it. So I made her watch the whole thing. Well, I got to tell you, I don't remember the first time I saw it, but I had to have been in uh, in in college in Steubenville, Ohio. That's where I was at the time. And that was right around the time when this movie came out was when I actually went to Punxsutawney on Groundhog Day. And uh, it, it first off, right off the bat, it looks nothing like the movie. Yeah. They filmed <laughs> it in Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. It was filmed in Woodstock, Illinois, which actually right. has a picturesque town square that they can hold it in. But the real Punxsutawney is an old Pennsylvania coal town. It, they're coal crackers out that out that area, and it's sort of it looks like it. It's you know kind of a little bit run down. There is no real center of town, and Gobbler's Knob, which is what it's called, Gobbler's Knob is the is where they do the the whole ceremony. It's out on the edge of town, like in a park, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I it was a, we were a bunch of college grad students. Driving out, you know, we didn't stay overnight. There's a there's a thing where people drive and they go and they stay overnight. And they in the movie they talk about how um, they sing songs. Then they get when they get cold, they go back by the fire. Then they go sing some more songs. And yeah, and there when they do it overnight, they drink, <laughs> sing songs, <laughs> get warmed by the fire, and then drink some more. Uh, and then around, you know. Getting close to dawn, they kind of want those the, the college kids and those types wander off, and the families come, and that's who are there for when the uh, they do the ceremony, which is just like in the movie. It's very similar to how they do it in the movie. Yeah, I heard that even the people from Poxitani thought that uh, Woodstock, Illinois, looked better. That was a better choice <laughs> yes. than, than their own their own town. Yeah, uh, one thing about Poxitani is uh, when with Groundhog Day is they have. Uh, uh, pancake breakfast everywhere you go is another like a pancake breakfast everywhere. So if you ever find yourself out that way on, on February 2nd, you know, find yourself at a, a, a pancake breakfast, head over to Gobbles Knob and enjoy it because it's a lot of fun. 
and and that's one of the reasons why we're we're doing this episode right now is because we're, we're right around Groundhog Day as we as we record this and as we release it. Uh, so it that's one of the things that came up with like Danny Rubin, the writer, the screenwriter, said he chose Groundhog Day for sort of out of the air. He 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 originally was just going to be just a random day in January, and he was writing it in in in, in a January. And uh, as he looked at the calendar, he saw that Groundhog Day was coming up. He thought it would be kind of cool to have it attached to a specific day, like a like a holiday, but not like Christmas, because that's done. That's been, you know, there's all kinds of Christmas movies. But it would be cool if it were a holiday like Arbor Day or Groundhog Day. And then people would watch it every every year on that day, which is kind of what happened. Yeah. <laughs> so so that was good. It's hard to imagine the movie without it being Groundhog Day because Groundhog Day is an integral part of the set and it's part of of everything there. Right. It's it's it is yeah, the it setting all revolves around Groundhog Day. And, yes. And what happens in Puxatani? Yeah. And it's the personality of Groundhog Day that it's about. It's it's about you know Phil's at first he's contemptuous of the you know these small town hicks, but really it's about small town values in in a one sense that that it it really is the the well and we'll get into this as we go through it but but it's really punxsutawney itself is part of that or the the punxsutawney style of town is really part of it's a character in the story it's an integral part of the story so um the 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 basic thing here the and the again Danny Rubin the the screenwriter said he started with the question if a person could be immortal, how would they change over time? Which is an interesting question for us who are Catholics approaching this from a Catholic point of view, uh, because we know that people are immortal. But that's an interesting question. Do we change over time in in the sense of after our life here on Earth? Do we continue to change in the afterlife? Um, I think there's some theologians would say we would. Uh, that that we are even though we're immortal we will live forever we're still time-based creatures and therefore we are subject to change over time so that's an interesting question but i i really kind of thought that there was an interesting premise to begin with is if a person could be immortal how could they change over time knowing that it's not going to end and that that's a kind of an interesting way to look at it and because it's sort of broad and open-ended, it sort of became the basis for a lot of philosophical discussions, uh, not just from Christians, but Buddhists, ethicists, philosophers, everybody kind of weighing in on it. So I thought that was interesting how it's accessible to a lot of different um, religious, spiritual, philosophical points of view because it's sort of broad. So what do you think of like the, that question as we, as we, as we enter into this movie? This question of you know, it's sort of open-ended and broad question, which for a comedy, which is essentially a comedy. Yeah, well, I, you know, it's it brings to mind a couple of other movies, too, because I think this topic's been used before. Uh, I'm thinking of Highlander with Sean Connery, yep. who wants to live forever. And then if I remember correctly, the, the writer came up with the idea after seeing an interview with a vampire by Anne Rice. Mm. And uh, he was and we've got so many vampire movies now these days, but uh, so, so that is where he, he started the question, you know, what if you could live forever, how would you change? Um, I had a little bit different take on that too. I know you went straight to our, our everlasting life, but 
um, when we get into more details on this, uh, purgatory comes to mind right. because of the purification and the change that he goes through in this experience. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. In the beginning of the movie, after Phil goes through uh, three or four days, he starts pondering the question. He asks Rita the question. And, you know, well, what would you do if you knew this was your last day? And, and you know, how would you live it? And he kind of looks at it that way for a while. Like, well, I just have one day to live. Um, so I can do anything I want. There's no consequences. Um, but but then, you know, as we will get into the movie, we see that his his view of what he's been given is not just this. Uh, I, I, there's no consequences and I can't get in trouble for anything. And I, whether I die or whatever, it's uh, everything's going to start over um, into uh, what he can do, uh, you know, how he can take advantage of this. So first, it was how he can take advantage. And then it's really how right. he can improve himself. Um, and that's where. Uh, you know, I heard the the purgatory idea come in, you know, someone purges themselves of how they are and, and becomes the best version of themselves. Or uh, in, you know, a lot of people bring up the Buddhist reincarnation that that mm -hmm. this idea of he keeps on being reincarnated in the same day until he gets it right. Right. And that's one of the things is he, it can be purgatory. It can, he's he's literally purging himself of these attachments to sin. Uh, it could be karma and ascension and re, you know, reincarnation and ascension to a higher plane. It sort of accepts a lot of these things. And I, I want to get into some of some of that uh, as you know, as we after we work through the, the, the plot itself. But, yeah, the it's it's very interesting how this movie is sort of a template that a lot of people can connect with, you know, that it, it, um, and, and in fact, it's 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 so. Such a blank slate for people that the term Groundhog Day has entered the public consciousness as shorthand for either something that helps you transcend yourself or as something that loops over, over and over. You know, Groundhog Day now has this idea of, you know, where you just do, you're running a treadmill, you're doing the same thing over and over again. So I thought that oh, that's interesting too. Um, so there's this loop that he goes through that Phil experiences this day over and over again. One of the enduring questions that has consumed Many photons on the internet, many pixels, many bytes of uh, data. How long was the loop? Do you do either of you have a of a sense of a guess of? I know what I've seen, uh, in in that that maybe even the screenwriters have alluded to. But did you have a did you ever in your mind as you watch it a sense of how long the loop was? I know I did. Um, and you know, if you count them, I think it's thirty seven or thirty eight days that you are seeing in the movie. However, he masters the piano, he masters a language, and there's a couple other things that he really steps up and learns. Ice and sculpting. Ice sculpting, yes, <laughs> yes, right? And so um, the only time he really alludes to time is when they're flipping the cards. And she says, how did you get so good at this? It would take, you know, it would take a, lot, a lifetime. He's not four or five months, four or five hours a day. Right. But I'm going to go with about somewhere up between 10 and 12, 15 years because when you when you want to be a professional at something, you need the experience to really have gone through things over and over and, and get gathered that experience. So you don't you start as like an apprentice and then a novice and you, you get good at it. But then to become a professional, you need at least 10 years of experience. Mm. And I saw that in, in how he was playing the piano and how he was doing that ice sculptor. It would take me 10 years to learn to do stuff like that. Yeah, uh, I remember counting before there was Internet and you could look it up and everything somewhere <laughs> in the in the 90s. I counted to, like and I got to like Shelley said, 38 or something like that. 
you know, that you can actually say, okay, this is a start over. This is a start over. This is another day. Even if it was all the slaps that you had to count, uh, Rita <laughs> slapping him, you know, okay, one day, one day, one day, one day, you know, um, that uh, it's obviously a lot more. And, and, and then I, you know, I heard where, you know, some people were saying, well, um, it looks like it was about 10 years, but uh, other people, when they went through the whole idea of, well, let's look at how much he messed up and then how much time he would have to devote himself to these different things, uh, got into 30 or 40 years, which is actually what um, Harold Ramis originally said. That's what he kind of figured it right. was about 30 or 40 years uh, worth of days that he that he went through. You know, well, I think, and that's that works with with what you said, Shelley, because you know he probably spent ten or twenty years alone, just you know, in those first few stages before he got to the point where he wanted to start to master things like piano and and languages and that sort of stuff. Uh, so I I, I can see that. Uh, but if if you stop and think about that, thirty or forty years of the same day over and over, what would it be like to have that next day? That's that's one thing yeah, that I think about. I heard about. somebody say he went forty years without a, without a hot shower. That's a long time. <laughs> yes, right. I thought of that too. Every time that water was cold. <laughs> so one thing one thing that makes this movie I think is is so good is that there is no explanation. There's no explanation for why it starts. Who is who puts him in this loop? How it ends? Why does it end? There's no explanation. It just happens and then it ends. Um, and. Phil experiences it, but we but they don't ruin it. You know, and I think that's what it would do. It would ruin it if they told us that God was doing it to him or that aliens or well whatever, if they explained it. I, I kinda like that fact. Yeah, there was talk of like a, an old girlfriend cursed him or something and, and that would have just added a, a, a plot point that would have ruined it and you don't yeah. you didn't need it. You didn't need it at all. It was much better uh, the way they did it. Yeah, no, I agree. In fact, I, I was watching it and when it got to the end, if I may skip to the end and uh, they spoiler. come out of the house. Right. Spoiler. Sorry. It's a, it's a what? 30 something year old movie. <laughs> yeah, everything is spoilers come, in this episode. <laughs> they come out of that house and they have he's like, let's live here. We'll rent first. I'm like, no, 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 no. You missed it, man. You should have ended it when he said he looks at her and says, is there anything I can do for you today? And mm. because. I, I don't know. For me, it was that was the that was the end. Cue, you know, pull it out, play the music. New day, bright, sunny, snow, done. So, right, right. <laughs> That's a yeah. good point. That's a good uh, yeah, I mean, that, it's, it's, that was the definitive line. Uh, of yes. The, what he figured out, what, what he learned. Sorry to jump there so quickly. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> let's start. And go back. So let's loop back to the beginning and uh, start again. And uh, so here we have Phil Connors, the the the. Uh, the the weatherman who's charming but uh, but a little cruel he's charming funny and a little cruel uh, a little mean to everybody and uh he uh he's at this weather station it's february 2nd and he's being sent to punxsutawney because as the lead weatherman that's his job and it's uh, actually february 1st when he's uh, there when he's, when he's being sent yeah, and that's, that's stuck right. on the description charming so, there's nothing <laughs> about him in the beginning that is charming to me the only female here well he can be charming if he needs to be yeah like, it's know, all certain... fake oh yeah it's fake he, yeah. well he and he does charm a couple of ladies in this and they <laughs> fall for his fake charms but yes you're right but there's this glibness about him there's this uh uh ability to have this 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 patter down this and he's funny uh but like I said, he's a bit a little mean and he's going 
being sent there with uh, the the cameraman played by Chris Elliott and with Rita played by Andy McDowell. And what I really like about Rita, I feel like Rita, Rita's the important one in this movie. She is the standard. She's she's not naive. Rita is kind and gentle and funny and a, and a pleasant person and a good person, but she's not naive. She doesn't fall for Phil's bluster. She she and she doesn't get angry at him for being mean to her. She just kind of pities him. She he's you know she's sad for him, and it's Rita's empathy, her kindness, her generosity that changes Phil. She is the standard of excellence that he has to live up to throughout the movie that he's trying to live up to. And every time he falls short, he has to start again. And, uh, it, you know, she, she tosses him out, you know, slaps him eight times in a row. And it's, it's Rita. That's the, I feel like is the linchpin to this movie. She's definitely the catalyst in, in his change because there's a, a bit before he gets depressed where He's asking her, you know, what's the perfect man? What's the, per you know, what's your perfect man? She describes it. And he's like, I'm really close on this. I, I can do this. <laughs> yeah. But when he fails is when he, he falls to his rock bottom. Yes. Um, and then once he stops focusing on himself is when he, he changes. I mean, really begins to change. Mm -hmm. um, but there, there's a line in the beginning when they're leaving um, when he's first meeting her, because that's the day they met. That's what's so interesting. Yep. All of this relationship with her takes place on the second day that they know each other. Especially uh, from her point of view. Right. And <laughs> yeah. so, but he tells her or, or someone tells him that uh, he thinks that doing the groundhog means he doesn't have a future and he's concerned about his future. He, you know, well, there's a station, a bigger station looking for me. Uh, so I thought that was interesting that, that he's only looking out for who he is and how he's going to get what his next thing. Right. He's always looking to the next big thing, the next, his next big break. That's true. Yeah. He, and he thinks the groundhog thing is beneath him. Right. It, right. Yeah. It's, he's better than this. It's yeah. well, it's, it's small market, you know, uh, TV, you know, he wants to go to the network. So, so they get to the town, uh, they stay overnight. He's staying in a, in a nice bed and breakfast and he wakes up in the morning, uh, to the clock radio. Now this, this iconic clock radio, they, th this is a clock radio that they, I don't know if it exists. This sort of thing exists anymore. It's the one, it's got the flippy numbers with a number. I had like, one of those. I, I, I had one, one too. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's a literal character in the movie. The, the, the clock oh radio. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. there's this great shot at one point in the movie of the, of it's as if the clock were gigantic and the numbers it's flipping from five fifty nine to six. And it, this ponderous movement <laughs> of the numbers down and it, Boom! It's like yeah, the they weight have the music of going with the yeah. oh, it's like a, it's like a THX opening or something. And it yes, like <laughs> it's the weight of time. Like, Boom! Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's so. There's this great clock radio, and then also almost like another character in the movie, the song starts playing uh, that's been playing on the uh, on the 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 morning zoo radio station that it's tuned to. Uh, I got you, babe, by Sonny and Cher. Which do we think this is a a a a subliminal message about the about the theme of the movie about him trying to get the babe uh, at the end it's a romantic movie i don't know i mean i thought it was it just kind of fits the the whimsical part of the uh, you know groundhog day is one of those those holidays that is in the middle of the deep winter and it just brings a a little bit of almost comic relief you know whimsy to it and yes. the, the movie kicks off with this this very circus like whimsical music and 
Um, so I got you, babes, just one of those. It, I don't know. It makes you smile. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. But I hadn't thought of that from the I got you, babe. Well, one of the things about it is it's a song that keeps going back to that verse over and over. Like, I got you, babe. Right. I got and you. put and your it, little and, hand in mine. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and then it goes back to it. It's like it's the repetitiveness of the movie is. Uh, uh, the song's like a little microcosm of that. It's just going to keep ah. repeating over and over. And not only does he have to hear it every day, but the song itself is has that repetitive one line that's just <laughs> over and over again. So, uh, so Phil has some interactions with the folks in the uh, in the bed and breakfast. Some fun, some nice funny bits where again Look, that that meanness comes out. Let me back up real quick before the okay. the, 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 the the two disc jockeys. Yes. And their and their little banter in the beginning, which you know he recognizes on the second day, like you're playing yesterday's tape, guys. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that that it becomes a part of like that he changes it, like it's going to be, you know, uh, he he describes winter the way they describe winter, but he but he put puts it in the lower tone, and you know, um, wake up, little you know, kid, and put your booties on because it's gonna be cold out there. It's cold Campers out rise there and every shine day. and don't forget your booties. It's yeah. cold out there. Yeah. It's cold every day. What is this like, Miami Beach? Depressing. Seen it yeah. A few times. <laughs> yeah. But he's like when when he does it the, the slow way, like it's it's cold out there. It's cold out there every day. And that's when he's really falling into depression. So their little banter becomes this kind of thing that echoes throughout. And all these people that he meets are so intricate and so well done. I, I just love it. From the from the big guy on the steps to the yep. poor clueless lady downstairs to <laughs> The best of them all, Ned Ryerson. I mean, I just all those people he meets are so great. Well, we cannot pass by Ned Ryerson. Stephen <laughs> Tobolowsky plays this wonderful character who is just like I mean, I walk around the house doing with the kids, you know, right, 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 right. Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Right, right, right. right, right. right. <laughs> oh, my wife and I do that. Bing. You know, I mean Bing. everything. <laughs> Uh, I mean, he played it so broad, so big, and it was so perfect. This great character. I mean, you just cringe for Phil Connors as he has to meet this guy who remembers him. And he doesn't remember for a second and just has to endure this, this, this guy and like over and over again until that wonderful moment where, where uh, they, they have this, where he's really getting into it. He's really kind of wants to freak out this guy. So he, it, it, with a, this time he meets Ned, he gives him a hug, Ned, and hugs him and hugs him too long. And then <laughs> and then Bill Murray ad libbed this line where he goes, yeah. I don't know where you're going, but uh, do you think you could cancel whatever you get to going on this morning? <laughs> <laughs> and it's so creepy. It's so funny. And Ned's reaction is so great. And he's like, yeah, yeah. He, he, he went right with it. Oh, I got to go. And he runs away in this like freaky way. Like he just can't wait to get out of there. Oh, just uh, perfect. Yeah. Ned was great. Like, you know, he introduces himself and he's like, so did you go professional with that belly button thing? Uh, you know, like, <laughs> yes. Well, guess what I do now? I'm an insurance agent. What a job. Uh, every, every little line that goes on with, with Ned. And then the one time when he punches him, just. Yeah, yeah, just, just knocks him out. <laughs> you got to watch out for that first step. It's a doozy. <laughs> Every time. We it, say that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another thing with this movie. It's got so many quotable lines. It's so awesome. Yeah, yeah uh, it's it's not quite a, at the Princess Bride uh, quotable, but it's it's up there. It is up there. It's like a it's a like Caddyshack quotable almost. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's 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 got him. So uh, the, the funny thing with Ned is that last time they meet, he talks about how Phil bought every imaginable policy from him. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the time where they actually 
he gets to the next day. He's Phil's on the hook for all this insurance. I, yeah. <laughs> My daughter said the same thing, but wait a minute. He just blew all his money on that insurance. <laughs> so, so that's going to be a problem. Yeah. So Phil shows up at the uh, Groundhog Day ceremony. He's got to do his, his shtick. Uh, again, as I mentioned, it's it's pretty accurate to to the, the actual ceremony. Um, I love the Pennsylvania polka that that's, that that's playing in the background, the people dancing. I just love that feeling. There's a, uh, he, he does a thing. He's pretty perfunctory about it. And then they, they, they get in the truck to go back to Pittsburgh. He wants to get out of that town as fast as he can. And then the really great thing is, is how Phil, this weatherman who thinks so much of himself missed the forecast. Like this whole thing, <laughs> he just every day for the next 30 to 40 years from his point of view, he is reminded that he screwed up the this forecast for this day <laughs> in such a bad way where they get stuck in the blizzard. I just love that part of it. I never I never even thought about that, that he had to be reminded that he made a mistake over and over and over again. And every time he explains it, he's he's always getting into that, that cameraman talk, you know. Yeah. What are you talking about? All this is, and it's going to push off. <laughs> it's pushing it from the west. <laughs> yeah. And we've got moisture coming up from the gulf. It's going to miss us and hit Altoona. <laughs> but he's he's so arrogant when he like after he's you know trying to he's trying to get through on the phone on like on the payphone and don't you have a special line just for celebrities like you know like celebrities and emergencies yeah I'm both I'm a celebrity <laughs> in an emergency yeah and, and you know I thought that really dated the movie too because you don't notice the lack of cell phones and 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 internet and Wi-Fi yes. but when he when he's on that phone with the cord and he can't get a long distance line. You're he, like, yeah. whoa. <laughs> he is isolated in this town, which is a big part of that, I think. If it were something that was today, you know, where you could get on a cell phone, you could get on the internet, you wouldn't be as isolated in the town. Um and, and that's that would that would change it, I think. Uh so it's I, one of those movies you really couldn't update. Right. I don't I would hate for yeah, them to remake it, this movie. It wouldn't today. work. It wouldn't work uh, in right. the uh, after the two thousand in the two thousands, at the turn of the century, with oh, yeah. with everything you could have access to, the world being so much smaller, it has to be uh, plus. You know when it was or earlier. The style yeah, movie today much more about relationships and and face to face interactions. Yeah, and yeah. the style movie, which I mean, it would be too cynical today, too gritty. It would know this is a this movie is uplifting. I mean, there's some there's some you know hard hard parts in the middle, but this is an ultimately uplifting movie, and I don't think it would be the same made the same way today. Um, so no. they go back to Punxsutawney. Uh, Phil Phil uh, doesn't go to dinner with uh, Rita and uh, what is Chris Elliott's character's name? Uh, Larry. Larry. That's right. It's, he's got to be a Larry. So he doesn't okay. go to dinner with Rita. And Larry. <laughs> he wakes up the next morning and he's got this the this, the same morning show the people are outside there's no snow on the ground and he eventually convinces himself uh that he must have imagined the previous day or that it was deja vu of some kind uh, you know and, yeah and he's he's not he's concerned but he's you know he's not overly but he this is the day where he he gets to the end of it and he breaks the pencil to see yes. if what'll happen on the third day like he wants to you know that's what, where he he tests it right so the next day, so the first day is he's confused. The next day, he's angry and scared. Uh, he, in yeah. fact, tells Rita, who doesn't believe him, that this is happening um, and ends up going to a doctor for x-rays. And then the psychiatrist 
who's this terrible psychiatrist who only looks treats like he's in high school. Yeah, exactly. He only treats like small town problems, like you know, couples counseling and stuff. Who I have an knows- alcoholic now. <laughs> yeah. I got an alcoholic tomorrow. now. He, who like Phil's telling him my problem is I don't I think I'm living the same day over and over again. So he says, Could we make an appointment for tomorrow? Like, yeah. <laughs> totally missing the boat, buddy. Um, yeah, and, right. and don't blink because you know who the doctor is. Oh, it's Harold Ramis. It's Harold yeah. Ramis. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. He's yeah. got to make an appearance. He's got to be in the movie. Um, <laughs> and then he ends up getting uh, uh, hanging out with these two like local drunk guys who uh, gives him advice. He says, what would you do if every day was the same you, you, you're in the same place and nothing you did mattered. And the one guy goes, that pretty much sums it up for well, me. No, for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so one of them says something along the lines of, well, you know, you'd have no consequences. And that's where he decides to live as if nothing he does has any consequences, including he starts like a police chase and running things over <laughs> and um, gets pulled over by the cops after, after playing chicken with the train. I think he's going to swerve at the last minute. He says in the train. He deadpans that line. And you're just, I mean, you're watching it. You're watching it. He says that. You just can't help laugh. (laughs) Exactly. I I really do. Just, just when I look at Bill Murray, who I've been a fan of in many things, that this was the pinnacle of his, his comedy prowess. He he was so good in this movie. He may, I guess he did good things after and before, but, I think this one really was just him at his peak. He now, was so good in this movie. An interesting personal note about Bill Murray at this time, while this movie was filming, his marriage was falling apart. Yeah. And 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 I think uh, I saw something where I mentioned that th- he helped rewrite some of the movie with uh, Danny Rubin and Harold Ramis and inserted some of the darker stuff. Uh, to really kind of ground it a little bit more than it was. It was it was a romantic comedy, you know, at first, and then because uh, so the first script was a little was more you know weird sci-fi. Then it became a romantic comedy, and then he kind of brought in some of that the darker parts of Phil, and I think that's that really added to it. But you're right, this is Bill Murray really at his comedic peak, just doing what he does so well on screen. Yeah, yeah. He also brought in. Uh, I was reading the reading uh, Rita to sleep. Uh, he said that on his honeymoon, yeah, uh, his wife had drank too much in champagne and and fell asleep. So he just read to her until he was too tired and he fell asleep. Oh, interesting. So on the third day through, uh, Bill is now living without consequences. Uh, he punches Ned, lets another guy step in the mud in the water puddle, goes to the diner and orders all the food. <laughs> He's sitting there at this table with all this food. And he says, I don't worry about anything anymore. He tells Rita. And he's smoking a cigarette. <laughs> exactly. And, and and when he tells Rita that, you know, he doesn't worry about anything anymore, she quotes this obscure poetry from Sir Walter Scott. Like, my and my wife, who is a English major, she taught as an English professor, is like, who quotes Walter Scott? That's like the most obscure thing. And it's just so funny that she pulls this, the wretch concentrated all in self living shelf of fair renowned. And I'm like, what? <laughs> she must've been, I said that out loud. Actually, I said, she must've been an English major and I, I got a, I got a glare, but that's okay. <laughs> the funny thing about that, cause I had to go look it up and see where it was from the lay of the last minstrel 1805, but it's not even French poetry. Well, that's it's the thing. Not, I mean, and so that's what makes it so funny. You get the impression that maybe she's that liberal arts major, but at the same time, 
once you find out about the, the French poetry thing, you're like, why is she quoting <laughs> English? <laughs> why is she quoting? Well, like, I mean, that's so you're Walter at the Scott. bottom of the barrel with that with poetry there. And wh- where did the where did the writer find it? I know. I mean, I, I feel like Danny Rubin's been holding on to that one for a long yeah. time. You know, because he didn't have the internet to just Google around and find you know poetry yeah. that poetry. talks about being wretched. Yeah, souls. Poetry about a narcissist, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Egocentric narcissist. Yeah. <laughs> so this is where Phil catches sight of uh, Nancy Taylor in the uh, the, mm-hmm. the pretty lady, um, and he straight up asks her like. Where'd you go to high school? What what was your mate? Like, what was your your favorite class? Who was your your senior? He just he's basically mining for information out of her straight up, and then walks away so that the next day he can hit on her uh, as if they're old friends, uh, which is what yeah. he does. He's so desperate for human contact in his life, that, uh, and he hits on her, and it's successful, you know. Except when he's with Nancy, they're, you know, making out by the fire in his room, the, the fake fire, by the way, in his room, he calls her Rita and like, Twice. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Um, and then he tells her, uh, I love you. Will you marry me? And she falls for it. <laughs> Poor Nancy. Oh, yeah. you could do better. Well, Nancy. This is, this is the, like the, the day that he realized, you know, with the, the train tracks and when they, and we missed it when they, when they crashed into the, um, the cars and he, he orders, R- Lunch. You're like, yeah, oh, he was drive through from the car. Yeah, that was great. Too early for flapjack. Um, <laughs> but this is what I call like his pleasure. He's going to fill his emptiness with pleasure. Yes. He, he goes after sex. Mm-hmm. He goes after money. He goes, you know, whatever, uh, you know, he can do to try to fill like, okay, I can do things. And, uh, and it, it but it eventually it becomes too empty for him. He's going to feed, literally feed the appetites. He started with yeah. the food at the diner. But he's going to feed all the appetites, the the carnal appetites, the and you know the and get all the money and think this is what's going to make me happy. Of course, we right. know it, it it doesn't. I did like like this right after this is where we have the armored car heist and we get the mm-hmm. realization that now time has passed such that he's able to, he's able to case the town. He he knows all the people. He knows he's seen the the the, the stuff going on with this armored car often enough that he knows the exact timing of. When a car is going to pass, a wind, a breeze blows from the east. Gust of wind. This is the first time where Dog we've known they, they definitely skip days. Yes. Yep. And yeah, then, yeah, cue, cue the quarters and he grabs the bag and goes. How you doing, Felix? <laughs> oh, I'm just fine. <laughs> and uh, right after this, he shows up at the movies in a new Mercedes dressed as Clint Eastwood with yeah. another date who's dressed as a French maid. I thought we were going to a costume party, she says. <laughs> Told you to call me Bronco. And- and then and Nancy you saw what they're by. watching. They're, yeah, they're, they're going they're to watching see... Heidi. Heidi no, no. Two. Heidi, Heidi two. two, the sequel. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, I love this movie. I've seen it a hundred times. I'm like, what? <laughs> That's awesome. So um Oh, he's seen it a hundred times. That's another clue. Yeah. Yes. So and so yeah. unhappy, you know, he he's gotten what he's gotten so far. He's unhappy with it. He realizes what he really wants is to be with Rita. So he starts pumping Rita for information to do to her what he did to Nancy and apparently has done to other women. And so, like you said, uh, Shelly, he describes, uh, she describes her perfect man and Phil. And and the interesting thing is, is that's eventually who Phil will become by the end of the movie. He fulfills all that, all that description that she, she names out. Um, and then after days of working her for this information, we we get to 
they're at dinner at this amazing Hofbrau house. This is amazing, like German restaurant, <laughs> Pennsylvania Dutch. Uh, and over dinner, she tells him she majored. I like this part. She tells him she majored in 19th century French poetry in college. And he laughs at her face <laughs> at like, oh, I, I didn't realize time. you were serious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like oh man ouch and uh and he has to start all over again and so but and this time he memorizes some french poetry and i'm like how long did he dedicate to this interim of when he found out she majored in, in french 19th century french poetry and he's memorized the french poetry you know it's got to have been days yeah, but in that that next time after after this time has passed, he gets a glimpse of what he's striving for because he has basically a perfect day with her. Right. And and she even says it, you know, this day's been so perfect you couldn't plan it. He's like, well, actually, yeah, you can. She, <laughs> right. it, it, right. it takes a lot of work. You know? Yeah. But it's it's still not fulfilling. It, it's still not what he needs to be um, because he still doesn't know what love is. Is he yeah, doing well, all this? Just he's still tricking her. It's it's not real. Yeah. It's just him being himself, but he trying to manipulate it's her. Real. Yeah, he's right. trying to manipulate her into a relationship of some sort in the best way he knows how. But it's just not real. It's still egocentric. It's still, um, right. you know, him trying to have a physical relationship with her. By the end of the day, you know, um, him trying to win it, something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he says, I love you. And she says, how? You don't even know me. You know, we've had yes. one day and, uh, you know, it, this is just a setup. Is this what love is for you? You'll never love anyone but yourself. Yeah. He knows stuff about her, but he doesn't know her, the person. And at the end, he will know her and loves her for who she is and not what he can get from her. But at this point, he just and that's one of the things I, I, I ask myself at this point. Is he still just trying to score with her? At what point? Is he falling in love with her? Like, this is a lot of effort to devote to, to, to this one woman for as much time as is apparently passing months, year, even, you know, that he's that he's trying to connect with her at this level. At what point is he in love with her and doesn't realize it? I think he wants to. because when, when he said the first time he saw her and they were able to film this well because they did the opening scene last. And if you watch it, he when he sees her and she's, uh, you know, playing with this blue screen and stuff, and he stares at her for a few seconds, you know, almost like an awe. And then later on, he says, when I first saw you, I knew I wanted to hold you right. so tight. So he knew he wanted her, but he but but how he hasn't yet become developed the maturity to love her. Uh, and, and to be the type of man that she, you know, is describing in the restaurant the one time right. and faking it like he did. She saw right through it, um, you know, and it takes the rest of the movie for him to to get to that point. Right. I like that. The Like the next time through after that slap in the face, he gets manic like he's he's now just kind of like frantically trying to recapture that perfect day they had. Yeah. And like yeah. even to the point like with the with the, <laughs> the, the snow again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They, like he's, he's they where they where they have the snowball fight with the kids and oh, they gosh. fall in the snow together and he's trying to like he, you see Bill Murray is like trying to get into that perfect spot like exactly the spot where they had the spontaneous moment and he's trying to get into that spot and squirming around and it's just like it's a perfect uh, acting out of that yeah it's so good yeah yeah it was 
that that's when we get the eight days of slaps, slap, yes. slap, slap. You slap. can just like, see him fail. Yeah, it's not working. <laughs> he cannot get past that point. He cannot get past that point. And you think of it, yeah, of course, because she's known him for a day, and she's not right. that kind of girl or woman. Yeah. Sorry, uh, but you know what I mean. The, the, she's she's a she's a good person. She's a moral person. Uh, you know, as we as as it as she says, I'm not gonna. No matter what, how good this day is. I'm not going to sleep with you today. I mean, that's sort of what she's saying here. And so despair sets in. So now Phil moves into the despair phase. Yeah. He says, I- I'm at the end of me, Rita. Yes. Like he, he, he can't go on anymore. Yeah. He says, he uh, looks terrible. Winter will and, last your entire life. That line that you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to last for the rest of your life. And isn't this when he steals the groundhog? Yeah. Well, first he, we go, we have this montage of him destroying the alarm clock every morning, oh, yeah, which, yeah. which is fun. He can't get out of bed. He's <laughs> yeah. depressed. Uh, but yes, he decides that the groundhog, for some reason, is is the cause of his loop. If and if only he could, if the groundhog must die, if only he could kill the groundhog, he will. He'll. And so we have him stealing the groundhog and driving with this thing in his lap off the uh, limestone quarry cliff. Uh, and to his, I love it with it as it lands upside down. Uh, Larry says, uh, "Well, it's possibly survived." And then, boom! The, the fireball. You know, maybe not. Then he focuses the camera, like because he's a cameraman. He's camera. yeah. yeah, you know, he's doing his job. And his driving with the, eye, the with the groundhog. Don't drive angry. You know, check your mirrors. Side of the eye. Side of the eye. You know, all that was improvised with him yes. and the groundhog. Yeah, and tell that. me, you didn't your mind didn't go to Caddyshack? Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, they exactly. actually um, said that they were thinking of him like going in there and getting the groundhog. And they said, that's going to be too Caddyshack. Because yeah. he went in after the, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a groundhog, a mole or whatever the heck yeah. it was. And yeah. Caddyshack. Yeah. So they didn't want to go over Caddyshack. But they did say that he, uh, when he was teaching her how to throw cards into a hat, when he said, be the hat, it yes. was like, Chevy Chase saying, be the ball. Exactly. Be the ball, Danny. Be the ball. Yeah, so a little homage to to Caddyshack there. So I saw something that said that in that scene where he was driving with the groundhog in his lap, he got bit like three times. Then he actually had to go through a whole uh, uh, rabies shot phase of shots. He was really not happy with that scene. Oh, I can imagine uh, that I would not want to be his his assistant or anybody around him after he gets bit by a groundhog. Oh, no way. (laughs) So and so then Phil goes through this his suicidal phase where we have all these different ways where he's trying to die. He's trying to kill himself. He steps in front of a truck. He he jumps off the clock tower. I'm trying to think of all the other. There's a couple of ways. Yeah. He, he took he, the toaster um, and the, the electrocuted toaster himself the other one in the they tower. Showed. Right. The 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 one where he jumps off the tower is when it really gets dramatic and dark because yes, with the music playing, the slow motion, and that's when they I uh, they had to go identify him. Yeah, uh, in the morgue. Uh, that's that's really where you're paid. It, it's rock bottom. You know, he's he's just spending every day looking for a way to kill himself. But we don't get to see all the times that he tried to kill himself no. because later he tells Rita, "I've been." I, he, you know, she's like they're having a conversation. He tells her he's a god. Yeah, and she says, "Why? Because you survived a car wreck." And he's like, "Nope, I've been stabbed, shot, poisoned, frozen, hung, electrocuted." And burned. And every morning I wake up, not a scratch on me. And she's like, yeah, no, I don't think that's how it works. I, what I found interesting was, is they, 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 when he dies, the day goes on. The day continues to its end and, and resets. So it's not like he dies and then the day is reset. So it's not centered on him per se in, in that sense. 
although he's the one element in that day that keeps repeating. I just thought that was interesting. So yes, yeah, so as you mentioned, Shelley, the next phase is where he thinks he's a god. He can't be he can't be killed. And this is where Rita starts to believe him because that great scene in the diner where he's telling her everything about everybody in the diner. You know, this is, you know, uh, what's her name? She came here as a, from Ireland as a baby and grew up in Erie. And here's this couple, they're getting married today, but she's having second thoughts and is thinking of backing out. It, it like goes through, you know, through all these people. And it keeps, all these different things happen where she thinks, where he kind of convinces her. And uh, they have this scene where she spends the day with him. In the end, it with her flipping the cards in the hat, like you mentioned. Right, yeah. And he's come to accept himself. And he's being authentic, and this is this is this is actually where Rita starts to to see him in a certain way, and she's you know he says it's not a curse. She says it's not a curse. It just depends on how you look at it, and I think that's one of the things that changes as they get to the morning, and they 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 flips over, and he wakes up without her there next to him, and he's sad because he he had this real connection with Rita the night before. And now it now it's he's reset back to their relationship when he was a jerk to her. And I was thinking, like when I was talking with Melanie about this as we watched it, in a way, it's like dealing with someone you love having dementia. She can't fully love him because she only has a day to get to know him. But for him, it's a lifetime. Like you, like someone whose loved one has Alzheimer's or dementia of some sort. You know where you love them because you have a history together, but they don't have that history anymore. They don't know you. Yeah. Springs to mind another movie, and that's called Fifty First Dates. We thought we'd said exactly the same thing. Yes, the it's another movie that's in the same vein where he has to go on on a date. The, it, it's um the, the actors are uh, Adam Sandler, yeah, and Drew, and Barrymore. Drew Barrymore, Drew Barrymore, right yeah. in Hawaii, yeah. and they have to go on Fifty First Dates because she has something that makes her forget every day. Yeah, she had a car accident that hit the temporal front lobe, and yeah. has to, every day she wakes up, it's the same day. And, and there's the also uh, the notebook is all about him going to his wife and reading to her about their life. Right. The wife doesn't even know it's their life, you know, yeah. until she gets lucid enough to remember. Right. Yeah. Right. But going back to, to Groundhog Day, there's this there's this one line that he says she's falling asleep. And like you said about the reading, the poetry. And he yeah. says, what I wanted to say is, I think you're the kindest, sweetest, prettiest person I've never I've I've never seen anyone that's nicer to people than you are. I don't deserve someone like you. And it reminds me also, another movie, of the movie with uh, Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt. Term, I can't remember the name of it. Terms of Endearment? No. Uh, uh, no. Um, he is says that the one you, where he was like an obsessive compulsive? Yes. And yeah. he says, you make me want to be a better person. Right. And it's like suddenly he, it's suddenly like Phil has looked at Rita and seen another person and he mm -hmm. sees he can see himself reflected and he's not what she is and he wants to be like her. Right. So now he's it's it's the beginning of that turnaround right there. The movie was as good as it he gets. doesn't think he exists yeah. anymore. He's 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 completely stripped away and emptied. And how how do you rebuild a life? So, yeah, the, I love the, I, I wrote this down myself uh, like you did. Uh, I don't deserve someone like you, but if I ever could, I would love you for the rest of my life. What a great line. That is such a great line. Um, it's so, beautiful. So much that, like you say it in your vows at your wedding. I mean, that's the sort <laughs> of line that is. It's a, it's it's so it's so, so selfless and self-giving. And this is where we get the switch to the good and the kind, Phil. 
So he's trying to be the kind of man that Rita deserves, not because not so that she'll love him back, but because that's what the she inspires him to want to be that kind of guy. And this is what makes it different from the other time where he's just trying to score with her by pretending to be, you know, a good guy. And so we have self-improvement, uh, Phil. Uh, he's reading books. He's learning Italian, taking piano lessons, ice sculpting. Then he starts trying being, to being nice to Larry, being nice to Larry. <laughs> yeah, that that first day after she stayed with him and and he woke up and she wasn't there is the first day he notices other people. Yes, it's the first day he sees the beggar on the street. He's walked past him how many times and and done what a lot of us do: he looked away or didn't really look at him. He walks by and sees him and gives him all the money he has. Right. You know, he he brings the coffee. Um. He's, well, he asks Larry his opinion on the shot. And you're like, that, that's such a moment there. Yeah, you know, that's Larry's a big like, step for him. I, 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 you're focused on somebody, not yourself. Yeah. I, I love <laughs> the bit, the part with the, with the old man, the old homeless man, because no matter what he does, and he tries and tries and tries, he can't save the old man. It, 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 it is because it's his time. This day, February 2nd, is the day this man will die because it's too, it's just his time. As the nurse says, you know, something, it's just some people's time. And, and rather than again, fall back into despair, it doesn't make him stop trying to save other people or to save this or to be kind to this man. He keeps, he keeps doing kind things for him and visiting him in the alley where he dies and, and being with him as he passes away every day, every one of these days. I, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful moment in in that uh and then he starts saving other people the kid in, who falls out of the tree who never says thank you uh that you you see that kid in the hospital with a broken leg oh. when he brings the old man a broken leg he's in the background with a broken leg so oh good he yeah, starts good. saving him you never thank me um and also with the old man he he calls him he refers to him as his father several times he yeah calls him pops he calls him father and i think he might call him dad once too and yes. I always wondered if there's something about he wasn't there with his dad. I mean, who knows what backstory they ever wrote, but it yeah. seemed odd that that's how he always referred to him. Pops, dad, fa- he even called him father once. You can see, I was thinking that calling him father, dad, pop was, you know, you, you learn love first from your parents. And by seeing this homeless man who had nothing at all to give him, there's nothing he could get or earn or, or there was nothing in it for him, Phil. But He's he's seeing this man for the first time and he's giving of himself. And it's the first time I think that Phil has ever done that. And so that's love. And so right there, when you love something better than yourself, and that's his first experience. So I was wondering if they were calling him father or dad or pops to kind of uh, subliminally reflect that. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. It's interesting. I, I never heard anyone, you know, reflect on why why they did that. And it was too many. He did it too many times. For it to be just a, you know, a coincidence or just an ad lib that Bill Murray put in there, I thought there must be something to it. I thought there was. I was thinking it might have been, you know, that Phil was being kind to a man who, at the end of his life, might not have been all connected there, and somehow, like this man probably has kids or wanted to have a son, and I'm being that loving son for him in that way, you know, that maybe yeah. he thinks I'm his son. Uh, but that that's, I mean, that's a couple of different ways to look at it. So he saves the kid in the tree. He helps the old ladies with the flat tire. He's the man from the auto club. <laughs> yeah. He saves he the. Sa- 
the choking man in the uh, yeah, in the restaurant. His brother in real life. His brother, yes, his real life yeah. brother. <laughs> and he does this. He serves without expectation of return, or even of being able to fix the things because he knows it's going to happen again tomorrow. And it, in some ways, it's like Mother Teresa in Calcutta, where she picks up one dying person off the street, not because it's going to fix what's wrong with Calcutta or even just solve the problems of these people in the street, but because it's the loving thing to do. And and that's what Phil is doing here. I mean, is it a stretch to compare him to Mother Teresa? But yeah. but in a way, that's that's what she that's what Mother Teresa yeah. did. And that's what he's doing. Yeah. And then there's also when he's he's bettering himself by reading. So he, he's got all these great books in the in the diner. And then he hears the piano playing. Yep. And the great scene where he first goes there and says, I'll give you a thousand dollars to take <laughs> me today. And she kicks the girl out. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> the poor girl's like uh, standing on the porch like, where? Why am I out here? <laughs> and what, one of the things that I really like in this is even when Rita begins to express interest in him. He doesn't go in for the kill. He doesn't go, you know, he doesn't try to score here. He's done with that, uh, which is yeah. interesting. Uh, and then we, so then we get to the charity auction uh, at the dance, the big Groundhog Day ball, um, where he's playing the piano, which is really awesome. Like he's playing the piano like a, like a, a, a virtuoso. And <laughs> she bids on him at the charity auction. In fact, several <laughs> of them bid on She bids everything in her checkbook. I don't know if you caught that. Like she, yeah, yeah, it's going everything up. in her wallet. Yeah, yeah, all the cash that she had three hundred and thirty nine dollars <laughs> and eighty eight cents. Yeah. And uh, and this is when he's he's stopped trying. This is when she got interested, and they're they're together overnight. Now th it's very clear, I think, that nothing physical happens to them here. And he says to her as she's asleep next to him, as we're getting closer to the six a.m click over he says whatever happens tomorrow or for the rest of my life i'm happy now because i love you he is living in the moment he's accepting of of whatever he can have and that's enough for him and that is apparently enough to or or whatever it is that needs to break this loop that he's in and it's and it's uh the act of loving is what brings him the joy not the reciprocation of the love Yes, that, that he's trying to look for. Uh, there's also the moment when he, he's carving her face in the ice. And uh, this is, comes right before, you yep. know, they, they, they'll go back up to the room and they're talking. And uh, when he turns and she shows her and um, they have a kiss and it starts snowing. And oh, okay. that's been uh, some people have thought that similar to It's a Wonderful Life, when everything became real again and it started snowing, that that might be actually the moment when he the day he broke was the going loop. to turn for him he he had yeah. crossed the, the the threshold of of where he needed to be so that it was going to be tomorrow the next the next day was going to be the third because he looked puzzled when he saw the snow yeah. there's this moment mm -hmm. where he looks puzzled that's true yeah like wow it's not supposed to snow right now yeah, yeah. but i love this thing is this, it's this total self gift that he's doing i mean from from like uh, pope saint john paul talked about that total self giving in a relationship that it's about giving love without expectation of return that you're just, you've given yourself entirely to the other. And that's, 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 that's the most selfless kind of love. Uh, so uh, really kind of a uh, nice moment there. Uh, and then of course he wakes up and I got you, babe is plays on the clock radio, 
but she's still there. And then it turns out it was a mistake. They and, and it's not a, it's not the same cue. They're, they, yeah. it's the, yeah. I got you, babe, starts at a different part of the song. So right. They fool right. you, but if you're paying attention, you realize, wait a minute. <laughs> because yeah. the minute that song starts, he's like, something's different. Yes. His eyes go open, wait, something's <laughs> different. But, but bringing you back to what, what triggered the end, I'm reminded again yet of another movie, and that's Freaky <laughs> Friday. Uh, the two versions, there's, there's two versions of Freaky Friday, both made by Disney, one in the 70s with Jodie Foster and the other one with uh, Lindsay Lohan and uh, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. But both of them are about seeing the world through the other person's eyes and achieving some sort of selflessness in their lives. And that's all that's the trigger also in both of those. So the Freaky Friday first one came out before Groundhog Day. I wonder if that influenced it at all. Hmm. And uh, but but sorry, I just had to throw that out there. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. In the end, I, I, I realized I look at this movie and I, I think I said this earlier. This could have been a much darker movie. But it wasn't. It was ultimately an uplifting movie. This is a, a movie that leaves you happy, hopeful, with a, a sense of that human nature. There's something good in humanity that that we can you know all aspire to. I, I really love that thing. And Phil goes from being a prisoner of the of this loop to being master of himself and of of this time that he's stuck in. And he, you know he's because he was. Being able to do what you can in the moment, no matter what the consequences. And so at first, that's a, that has a dark meaning, being able to do whatever you can without consequence. But in the end, it's being able to do what you can, being able to do the good that you can, no matter whether there's actual consequences or not. And I really like that. And it's really kind of fascinating to me uh, how this how the movie, this comedy, this fun comedy has this deep message to it yeah what what can i do for you today because that's what he's been doing even though my my daughter asked why is he trying to save that guy he's just gonna have to do it again tomorrow and i'm like well that's it he will do it again if he saves him and figures out a way he'll do it every day he'll save the guy every day right that's just what he's learning and it's it's not about oh well what's in it for me tomorrow and how am i what's my future it's about what can i do for you today that's going to make your day better. And at the end of the movie, what you realize is he's become the best version of himself. And we hear that a lot in, in our circles. Yeah. But um, yeah. how do you become the best version of yourself? Uh, he's 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 been woken to what love is and, and how to be, how to do for others, how to put others ahead of self. It, one of the uh, things I think I, I saw that, um, I forget who said it, it was maybe Danny Rubin who said that uh, one of the things he found it was the greatest gift is actually, I think it was Stephen Topolowski, uh, the guy who plays Ned, uh, Needle Nose, Needlehead Ned, who actually I, I saw him interviewed about this, and it was a, he was amazing his insights into this movie. I, I, I'd love to hear more from him. But he said the greatest gift we we see here that the greatest gift for Phil is to be finite again and to be with his beloved. That's the that's what he really was was you got his most joy from is to. He's finite again. He's not immortal in the sense of living without consequences over days over and over again forever and ever, but he's finite and he's with his beloved. And that's that's enough for him. Let's settle here. Let's get a house in in Punxsutawney. <laughs> now, in the end, like I said at the beginning, Buddhists, Christians, atheists, they all love this movie and and they've all said it expresses, you know, the heart of their beliefs. Buddhists will say, oh, this is the heart of what we believe. Christians, oh, you know, Catholics, oh, it's purgatorial. Oh, it's, you know, it's about heaven. Atheists, it's about the essential 
uh, human nature that it that doesn't need to have an external God, whatever it is. And it's interesting that it does that because what this movie does, I think, is it expresses the universal truth of human nature in so well, so much better than so many other movies do. Yeah, that, that's where I think. Uh, and and the, the one thing is they weren't trying to do that. I mean, you go back and they're like, we didn't try to make a religious movie or right. try to purposely appeal to any sort of religion. But but they stumbled upon the truth because it was it's who we are. and so as they went through what Phil would go through in his evolution from the beginning to the end, uh, the truth of human nature and the fact that we are created to be this way, we're created by love for love. And, and that's how, uh, you know, uh, we become the best version of ourselves. They made that movie, not even realizing what they were doing. Uh, and right. that's just how it, you know, that, and it just came out that way uh, because it's the truth. Yeah. It's, because they were just trying to express truth about that they that they had access to truth that they knew this tr- trying to be real with what they were able to encounter and that's that's why it can be a christian movie without being made by people who see themselves as christians because be, you know to to be christian is to you know to be a christian movie doesn't mean it has to be have jesus in named in it doesn't have to be made by christians it has to express a, a, the essential truths about existence about reality and i think that it does you know that and if to, to kind of leap to the other direction that's what's what i find so wrong about so many christian movies explicitly christian movies is because they think that in order to be a christian movie they have to espouse christian doctrine explicitly they have to be you know outwardly christian and and this is one of the things that sqpn has always been about is no, the fact is, is you can find these truths, you can find the deeper meanings, the hidden layers in many places of our popular culture. Um, it, it's expressed more, you know, very clearly here in Groundhog Day, this funny movie about a rodent and, and a weatherman. <laughs> but but it, we find it in so many other places, too. And uh, that's that's one of the reasons I love talking about this stuff is because it you, you when you when you you're entertained but you're also learn something. You're also connected to something deeper. I, re- I remember watching uh, some episodes of Friends during the time when uh, Ross and Rachel broke up because they were on a break. And we're on, on a break. break. And thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think it was with my daughter, but I can't remember who I was talking to. And I said, you know, you see the pain and the agony and the anguish of what is going on with these two people that were in a noncommittal. You know, they weren't married, but they were in a very physical relationship. And then it broke off. They, you know, they, they weren't committed in, in marriage. It broke off and he cheated. And now there's this pain that I remember, um, you know, is expressed in theology of the body. Like that God never meant us to feel the pain of, 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 of this, that we weren't supposed to unite ourselves with someone and then have be ripped apart from them. And they showed that very well in the Ross and Rachel pain of what the two of them were going through. It actually would bring back memories of my like high school. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I really liked it that much. It was so well done, and so they stumbled upon this truth. They, they, they. Of course, I don't think anyone on the show would say, you know, oh, it was because they were, uh, you know, sexually active that that this all happened. But that's that's the reality of, of uh, what they did, and, and how they could not, you know, the, the pain of what they were going through, right, uh, was so well done. You can, and so, and, and here's friends who were finding 
theological truth in, in a, a show of like, <laughs> friends, you know. God, God is anyway. everywhere. Yeah, anywhere that there's truth, that we will find, we will find Christ. That's that's the the, the reality of it. Uh, so Groundhog Day. Last thoughts? Uh, anything you want to uh, say uh, as we wrap things up here? I bought you know, it. I, I I didn't own it. I just <laughs> bought it to have because I know I will watch this movie over and over again. That, that's I, I have it, but it's in storage somewhere. But luckily, I was able to find it on demand so, uh, on TV, so I have to pay for it. But you know, the, the final thoughts is it's funny that there's people that love this movie or, or can't stand it, like I said before, because they don't they don't necessarily get it. And sometimes, like my wife, I'll be like, "Oh, Groundhog Day," and she'll be like, "Oh, God, Groundhog Day," <laughs> and she just can't see the. It's so goofy. You really do have to, uh, you know, get past the the goofiness of it to and peel back the layers to see. You know what's the what's really going on underneath, right? All, all the humor, you know, and and maybe the annoying repetitive scenes of like him coming in and ordering the drink, and then getting the toast correct, and then you know, and then he has to get the French poetry correct, and all that. I stuff. always drink to and world then, peace. Yeah, I mean, when when he does the world peace, yes. and he says, "I like to pray, pray a prayer, and the world peace," and then he literally pauses and goes, "Amen," and then he drinks his drink. <laughs> it was so well done. But anyway, um. I, you can you can enjoy it just for the fact that it's a hilarious movie, or you can get into it like we do. Uh, that's that's yeah. one of the brilliances of it. Yeah, no, it's just it's one of my it's one of my everyday favorites. You know, it's just somewhere in the mix. And um, so when you said we were going to talk about this, it was oh, of course, Groundhog Day. <laughs> so our uh, our pastor once did a, a you know like a little movie club where he he'd invite us to come and sit and watch the movie and then talk about it from kind of a theological point of view. And this was the very first movie he did. Um, and so I don't know, it's, it, it's, I just love the, I love the message. I love that we can continue always to improve ourselves, that every day we can do something in the minutes and the time that we have. Um, even if it's not on an endless loop, every day is a new, a new opportunity to be better than we were the day before. Very good. All right, so that's uh, where we'll we'll put a stop to it. We're gonna before we wrap up, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create secrets of movies and TV shows, including this time Father Jason, David P, Lizzie G, Philip S, and Father Leo. Their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of movies and TV shows and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com/give. So that's it from us. What do you think of Groundhog Day? Is a, is a, are you one of those people who love it or are you one of those people who don't get it? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash secrets or on the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash StarQuest Media or via email at st- secrets at sqpn.com. Until next time, Shelly Kelly, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Groundhog Day. Thank you very much. And Mike Denz, thank you as well. I enjoyed it. Thank you. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of movies and TV shows on StarQuest. And remember, am I right or am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Bing! Right. 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 (laughs) 